Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. We have two passages this morning. The first is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. The second comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Oh, bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I invite you to turn with me in your pew Bible to page 53, if you'd like to follow along in the Gospel of Luke. This makes you excited for Christmas. It should. <laughs> and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God indeed. Well, good morning. Oh, come on, you all do better than that. Good morning. Good morning. Excellent. It is so good to be with you all today. And uh, I just want to say a couple of words before I share my message with you. Connie and I have been members here uh, we've been attending for about two and a half years, and I think we joined maybe in June of last year. We just love our church. Uh, we love our pastors. Uh, we never leave Orange disappointed. Uh, we are fed and encouraged and loved well here. And uh, we just want you to know that we, we count it a privilege to be a part of this church family. I am a retired United Methodist minister. We moved here in 2020. Uh, so that we could be near our son and daughter-in-law and their three boys that we helped care for full-time for quite a while. But now we're kind of retired yet again. <laughs> and uh, whew, that's a relief. Ages 4, 7, and 11. And uh, they're a three-ring circus most of the time. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it is just a, a real privilege to be here and to talk with you um, uh, in, in the the context of this series that Adam has so far preached a couple of messages on, the generosity challenge. 
And today we are looking at the role of prayer uh, in our generosity and how God leads us in, into generosity as we pray. Now, for nearly five decades, Connie and I have been husband and wife. We've been together for over 50 years as a couple, but uh, we've been married 47 and a half years. And just like everybody else, we have faced financial fears and struggles, uh, preaching sermons at times on giving have made me very uncomfortable because we too have struggled. There have been moments when I've, I've said internally, we just can't afford to be generous because of the salary that I was making as a pastor and many of the other challenges that, that we dealt with just like the rest of you in our day-to-day -day lives. After experiencing a call to ministry in 1979, we both abandoned our career plans. Connie was looking at a career in medicine. I was studying computer science and business in college. Um, I'd earlier thought as a political science student that I might go into politics and run for Congress. Thank God that didn't happen. <laughs> like Abraham and Sarai, uh, we moved to a foreign land called South Carolina. Anybody heard of <laughs> South Carolina? Uh, where I entered Bible college to study Christian ministry. And as my graduation drew near, uh, I began a lengthy, arduous process, as Corey knows firsthand, toward ordained ministry, towards becoming, first of all, a licensed local pastor in the United Methodist Church. And the first step was to participate in a candidacy study with a mentor. And the enrollment fee was $35. Now, in 1992, $35 was worth roughly $100 in today's economy. And we didn't have it. In fact, our checking account balance, uh, as the deadline loomed, was close to zero. And if I was going to get an appointment after graduation back in my home conference in Tennessee, I had to get this study done. So on faith, and I wouldn't recommend this generally speaking, I wrote a check for $35, filled out the application, and dropped it in the mail, hoping the check would not bounce. Well, the very next day, we got word from our church that we were members of there in uh, West Columbia, uh, in Irmo, South Carolina, some of y'all know where that is probably, that someone had been praying for us and that the Lord had directed them to give the Gallagher's $35. Now, I don't remember telling anybody about our need, but someone was prayerfully listening to God, obeyed His Spirit, so that we could experience uh, a miracle of generosity. Now, I have no idea to this day who that person was, but surely, surely they had an authentic relationship with Christ. They listened to His voice and were willing to do what He asked of them in that moment. In reading the stories of the saints in the Scripture, one of the characteristics that they almost universally seem to share is prayerful willingness. 
That's the phrase we're kind of honing into today. Prayerful willingness. These ordinary men and women used by God to bless the world are never portrayed in the Scriptures as being perfect or even morally pure. But they are persons of prayer. For many years, my thinking about prayer was very limited. I took a class on prayer in college that made prayer more an academic pursuit than a personal relationship. And I have since learned by experience and in talking with a spiritual director and, and other pastors and just people in the pews that, that prayer in its most basic form is simply a loving conversation with God as we journey through this life with Jesus Christ as His disciples. Now, certainly, there is a time and a place for liturgy and formality as we've experienced here in this service. But prayer also in violence, in, involves silence and meditation, contemplation, and especially, especially looking and listening for God in the circumstances of our daily lives. In the Bible, we see people in conversations with God in the temple or the synagogue, at the dinner table, or on their beds in the depths of the night. But we also see them encountering God on a road and a rooftop, in a cave and in the desert, on the battlefield engaged in war, at a watering hole, a well, as we heard just a few weeks ago, in a garden, and in the torment of a prison and from a criminal's cross where a man cried out, Jesus, please don't forget me when you come into your kingdom. If, if you're intent on becoming a more prayerfully willing person, I would encourage you to talk with God throughout your day, in the shower as you begin your day, in traffic as you commute, to work or to school, or as you run or walk in your neighborhood, wherever you are and whatever you are about can be a time of prayer. Train yourself to listen for the Holy Spirit and, and ask God for the courage and the strength to follow His leading, no matter how hard that may be. Prayerful willingness does not require big, mountainous faith. In fact, Jesus taught that small faith can move big mountains. Struggles with doubt, struggles with total obedience to Christ do not qualify you from prayerful willingness. I know this firsthand. <laughs> they may in fact, prepare you for, for being prayerfully willing. Because you are, at your weakest point, many times, most often, open to fully relying on God and His strength to help you perse persevere through any challenge that you may be facing. In this season of my life, I can tell you, I really need to listen to my own words in this sermon here. This morning, we briefly look at two Bible heroes. 
Abram, who was later renamed by God Abraham. Abram meant, meant exalted father. Well, that's, that's a name to live up to, isn't it? But then it became much bigger and grander when God called him Abraham, which means father of the multitudes or father of the nations. Wow. Talk about a, a name. But we're just going to talk about Abram because that's the name used in Genesis chapter 12. Here are two persons at opposite ends of life. Now, looking out at this crowd, I see a lot of my peers, folks that are near my age or younger, maybe, but several that are older, I would guess. And, and we understand what it's like to be on that end of life, the latter years of life. But here we also have someone who is quite young. There's this 75-year-old childless man who was a nomadic sheep herder with great personal wealth. That often happens to us as we age. We accumulate more and more. The other, however, is a teenage girl from a poor working class family living in an obscure village, Nazareth, in the Galilee. One was chosen by God to be the father of the Jewish nation. The other chosen to be the mother of that same nation. The mother of that same nation's long-awaited Messiah. And the Savior of the world. Both were actually ordinary human beings, not Marvel superheroes. Both found favor with the Lord because of... God's grace and generosity. Both were prayerful persons, I believe, who listened for God's voice. Both were available, available servants who, who were ready to do whatever the Lord asked of them without making excuses. Both said yes to God's blessing so that they might become a blessing to others. Abraham was told, I mean, this is outrageous, that the families of the whole earth would be blessed through him one day. Although he struggled to understand just how this was possible, how God would fulfill this promise, Genesis 15, 6 tells us that Abram believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned this to him as righteousness. And the angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I love what the Living Bible says in paraphrasing that one part of the verse. God has decided to wonderfully bless you. And now, the angel says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. All this was incomprehensible, incredible, and seemingly impossible for this teenage girl to understand. She had never been with a man, but she believed and received the blessing, saying, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Mary shows us how, how anyone 
including us, listening for the Spirit to speak to them, can and should respond when we hear His voice with prayerful willingness. Prayerful willingness. We agree to do whatever task and give whatever offering God is asking of us. Can you say with Mary and Abram, use me as you wish, Lord. I may not feel ready. I may not be qualified for this task, but I am available. I am available for my entire adult life. For over 40 years, I have tried to have that same attitude. And although I have failed to do that consistently, by His grace, God has continued to use me. And I'll never get over that. I'm so amazed by His mercy and His grace. Abram and Mary are two ordinary poor persons who were used for God's extraordinary, mind-blowing plan. Two servants that the world will never forget because of their humble faith, their radical obedience, and their extravagant generosity. I mean, can you imagine the world today without Father Abraham and the Virgin Mary? I mean, virtually anybody you talk to reveres these, these saints of the faith. They know they are important in the history of the world and in salvation history, as we believe, along with Jews and even Muslims. I mean, can, can you imagine what your life would be like today without these two? Over 20 years ago, I visited England as part of uh, a Wesley Heritage Tour. I know that Corey, she indicated in the first service that she had visited some of these same sites that we saw. We toured the Methodist uh, Parsonage, the Wesley Parsonage in Epworth, in the northern part of England, where Mother Susanna gave birth to, to John and Charles, two of her 19 children. I mean, Corey thinks she came from a big family. <laughs> Nineteen children. I also stood at the foot of the bed where John Wesley died at age 87 in London. And I was, I was especially moved by this kneeler, this little bench in a small adjacent room where Wesley knelt at 4 a.m. every day and spent a couple of hours in prayer. In the last five years of his life, when John Wesley was in his 80s, he began to observe a troubling trend among the Methodists. Those of us that are lifelong Methodists, as I am, uh, will take interest in this probably. They were becoming more prosperous and less generous. Wesley had taught three basic rules regarding the use of money 30 years earlier. You all are probably acquainted with these. The first one was gain or earn all you can. Number two was save all you can. And number three was give all you can. He concluded after visiting several of the Methodist societies throughout England and beyond 
that the Methodists had all but ignored rule number three, give all you can. At 85, he wrote, of the three rules which are laid down, you may find many that observe the first rule, namely, gain all you can. You may find a few that observe the second, save all you can. But how many have you found that observe the third rule, give all you can? Have you reason to believe that 500 of these are to be found among 50,000 Methodists? And yet nothing can be more plain than all who observe the first rules without the third will be twofold more the children of hell than ever they were before. Now, that's a surefire way to increase giving here at Orange. Okay? Start calling your members who fail to be generous children of hell. Yeah, I'm joking here. Okay? But that's what Wesley said, who could be rather stern and harsh at times. For four decades, Connie and I have given a lot to the church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And at times it felt like that our entire existence was wrapped up in the church. Right, Connie? Yes. Now that I'm retired, I have had three years to reflect about my ministry and about our time in the church uh, vocationally. And uh, I wish I had earned more. I guess every Methodist preacher probably wishes that. Uh, but I also wish that I had saved more with what I had. And I wish I had given more. But, but it's hard living in a culture of greed, consumerism, and self-centeredness, isn't it? Yeah, even for Methodist preachers, the struggle is real. The challenge to generosity came early in my ministry as the pastor of a two-church charge. I was only 27 years old, fresh out of college. My salary was $10,500 a year with no benefits. I didn't have benefits. We had two sons, a newborn and a 15-month-old. The parsonage was a rented house in the community paid for by the churches. And it had many, many problems, including raw sewage running in the backyard because there was no septic tank. And grossly inadequate heat. It was impossible to stay warm that first winter. Our boys stayed sick all the time. In fact, uh, we had to move out for two weeks during an especially bitter cold spell. The church desperately needed a parsonage. They had money saved for this purpose, but they needed a good bit more to actually buy a house. We decided to give my $1,000 raise that next year to the building fund to buy a suitable house for the preacher. Now, it was sacrificial giving $1,000 out of my meager salary, to be sure. 
and a bit self-serving since we hope to be living in that house someday. <laughs> Yet, I was convinced that God was leading us to set an example for these churches. And it felt good to be generous, even though we desperately needed that raise. Well, the two churches couldn't agree on anything. The only thing they had in common was me, uh, the boy preacher, as someone called me, <laughs> trying to be a pastor to two feuding congregations. 20 years later, that money was still sitting in a bank account, even though one of the churches had closed many years before. And I found out just this past week, uh, texting with uh, the son, the grown son of my lay leader back in 1983 and 84, that the church never bought a parsonage. Uh, it felt demoralizing, to say the least, especially when they disaffiliated from the United Methodist Church last year. Now, that's a sad, uninspiring story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. But, but the joyful part, the joyful part, however, is that we were prayerfully willing, as a young couple just in our 20s, two small children, to say yes to God while learning an important lesson in generosity and the blessing of God that came with it. We have no regrets. And we've talked about this just in recent days. You know, whenever we give to the church, this one included, uh, we aren't buying shares in a company. You know that, don't you? Yeah, we're, we're not trying to strengthen our influence in the church with our giving or to gain control over its leadership. When we put money in that collection plate, we are giving to God. We are giving to God. It is a spiritual gift and privilege John Wesley's own commitment to giving was consistent throughout his entire life. As a student at Oxford, Lincoln College, he lived on 28 pounds a year. As his earnings increased to 30 and eventually to 120 pounds annually, he wrote in his journal that he continued to live on 28 pounds a year, giving the rest of it away. He told people that if he had more than 10 pounds in his possession when he died, they could call him a robber. Why was that? Because John Wesley believed that everything he was and everything he possessed belonged to God. Now, he was a flawed human being. <laughs> Anybody that studied his life in detail sees that. He was very bad at relationships, but he was no different than the rest of us, you and me and Abram and uh, Mary. I mean, we're all sinners saved by grace, right? Say amen if you believe that. But Wesley understood that he was blessed by God to be a blessing. As we heard from Pastor Adam earlier in this series, we're all made in the image of God, who by nature is extravagantly generous. 
That is so hard for some of us to believe and to receive into our lives. God is, is not this top-fisted accountant looking over his glasses at you, uh, demanding uh, your allegiance and your love and your contributions. No, he is a God who in Christ, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, has abundantly blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. We have been created in that God's image with a capacity for generosity. Prayer moves us from thanking God for those blessings to actually offering them back to God and to others. Prayer courageously asks, God, based on everything that you have given me and all that you have done for me, what can I give back to you? My favorite poet is the late Mary Oliver. She explored the meaning of faith in many of her poems for her entire life. Her prayerful willingness to listen to God's voice led her to immerse herself in the natural world. She loved the woods and the seashore. She listened intently to every living thing in creation. Her blessing to the world, her legacy is her poetry. One of her most beloved poems is The Summer Day. And she writes in the last half of that poem, I don't know exactly what prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to, to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is your plan to do with your one wild and precious life? You know, I can almost hear Jesus asking that same question of me and you. Tell me, what is your plan to do with the rest of your one wild and precious life as my disciple, as one who follows me? Beloved, remember, remember, you have been blessed like Abram, like Mary. You have been blessed to be a blessing. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you. Oh, how we thank you for the abundance of your blessings in our lives. And we pray that we would not squander our spiritual inheritance. That we would prayerfully willingly sit at your feet, converse with you throughout the day, listen for your promptings, for your directing, that we might give generously of ourselves to others in your name. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of, of giving to this congregation. Thank you for all the ways that 
that we are able to bless others because of the faithfulness of your people to give generously of their prayers, their presence, their gifts, their service, and their witness. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and empower us and ready us, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.